Welcome to So You Want to Be a Leader, really a Defy Expectations podcast. I'm Vicky Hampson. And I'm Helen Honeysett. We're here to explore the highs and lows of leadership today with our guests and to help you navigate the complexity of being a leader from every aspect, the sublime to the utterly ridiculous and all that sit between. This week's guest is Anthony Larsenai, who is an international expert on workplace communication and employee engagement. Anthony, welcome. Great to be here. You can find everything about Anthony, his information on our website, also a wonderful download if you visit www.defyexpectations.co.uk. So first, Tony, can you tell us a little bit more about how you came to become so passionate about the mysteries, the intricacies of human communication, especially where it relates to what we call conscious leadership? I guess the first thing that came to my mind is that I'm completely incapable of repairing or assembling anything. I don't know how to put a Billy bookshelf together from Ikea even. So I had to be good at something else. And it turned out that I had a neck for this thing about human communication. Uh, and I, when I grew up, it, it, kept, it kept going. I, also, I felt the, uh, the talent, so to say, and the curiosity around it. And I just started to de develop it. So that was the first thing. Another thing is that I have had my fair share of managers myself, and I've been a manager a number of times. I mean, I left the corporate career back in 2006, so for 18 years now when we record this, I've been doing my own thing. But still, before that, I was a useless manager in the beginning, a, a bad one. And I really need to, to figure out this game because, can I, can I give you an example of this? Just like a, one example. We talk about the, everything from the ridiculous to the nuances and, and so on. Here's one ridiculous thing I did twice, actually. This is the most embarrassing thing. I didn't do it once, I did it twice. I had this person in front of me at, at the first occasion and he wasn't very happy because I was promoted and he was not. And he started to kind of question everything I said. And finally, just I just snapped and I said, you do what I say you should do because I'm your manager. I'm your boss. So I'm, I'm telling you to do it. And that is just, while I said the words, I wanted to just get them back into my mouth, but I couldn't. They were out there. It was so bad. And actually, I did it again at a later stage for another person when I also was too impatient. So those things are just bad. And I, and I still realize this today. This was a long time ago. Uh, those are the things that, for instance, kind of made me question myself and my capabilities, but also looking into other ones. The managers that I had, what did they do good? What did they do bad? When was I excited? When was I kind of put off almost? And I, and I just spent a lot of time on it as, as the years went by. And of course, since I've been doing this myself, inspiring and coaching leaders and teams and so on, I, I spent so much time just interviewing people like you do, I guess, as well in, in your a daily life. And, and I'm just a curious soul. And I think that it's so important also to have good or even great leadership and human communication skills. I just have to say, Anthony, thank you for being so open and sharing that. We love an example of the ridiculous. And I guess you've got to go there to really learn how bad these examples are so you can fix them. So whether it's brave you're sharing or whether you've just learned so much since then, but thank you. It's brilliant. It's interesting because we always say we've learned more from our bad managers and leaders than we have from our good ones. Because sort of good leadership to a degree, you sort of expect it. But bad leadership is so, I mean, we've all had those moments. I'm sure we could share our own war stories as well. And Every one of us. And being a parent myself, I'm 
constantly having this guilty conscience of what I've said or done or things like that as well. So, yeah. Yeah. Parenting is another mirror as well as leading adults. But we started mentioning the word conscious or the words conscious leadership. We talk here about love leadership at Defy Expectations, and that's one of the core leadership styles that we aim to support others to adopt. But how do you define conscious leadership and how does that differ from other leadership styles? And I'm going to tag a little bit extra onto that. When is it really useful and when is it not? You're right. There are so many different labels of leadership. I love yours, by the way. Very good. It's, it's really Conscious leadership for me is being aware of what you transmit, what you say, how you look, how you sound, how you listen, what you do. Being aware of your power as a leader, being aware of what, what volume you're sending things. I learned that from a great person who said that you're always sending on a higher volume. As soon as you become a manager, for instance, you should be careful of, of shouting. You should tone it down because you're already sending on a high volume. Things like that matter. I, I can see ourselves, all of us, being like a rock that, you, that lands in water. And the wave is the emotion we create with whatever we do and say and so on. And if, if you're not aware of, of what you're transmitting, you can go so wrong. You might have good intentions, but if you don't know how to communicate, for instance, it will create the wrong type of, of waves around you. And that's not very good. So I would say that it's probably a perfect combination to have a loving and conscious leadership at the same time. Does it make sense to you? Absolutely makes sense. And that's also really interesting when you're talking about that intention. It doesn't matter what your intention is if your impact sucks. And again, I always have to remember when we're dealing with humans that that's a really fine balance because actually leaders are humans as well. And finding those times when you can really get that right is important to motivate, but also understanding how to do self-forgiveness when you get those wrong as well. And that self-awareness trumps everything, which is a phrase Vicky and I use quite a lot when we talk about leadership. Yeah, so self-awareness and self-compassion as well, as you say, we will go wrong. It's, it's just a matter of time when it happens and then being able to learn from it and forgive yourself and move on and be a better person. I'm also thinking that consciousness from that perspective is not only about you and what you transmit, but also who you have in front of you. Where are your team members right now when it comes to what their the dreams and hopes and aspirations and, and irritation or whatever, just understanding that and perhaps also getting kind of the basics right, like the ABC of psychological needs. If you look at uh, the self-determination theory, for instance, in psychology, is kind of ABC stands for, well, what have you here? You have uh, autonomy. So giving people a chance to have a mandate to, to act and do things. Uh, you have belonging, which is perhaps the most, most fundamental things of all. We want to belong. Uh, and then also competence, being significant and showing and growing your competence. If you can if you satisfy those things, people will be much more happy. And if they're happy, they will perform better. If they perform better, we will have a better results. So for me, it, it's the link between communication, motivation, and performance and how that leads to results. Bad communication leads to less engagement and less motivation, which means that people will drag their feet and not do their work. Uh, it will show on the bottom line, basically. It's really fascinating. I particularly love how you married 
the conscious leadership with the love leadership. It feels quite a romantic thing to be talking about, but I think it's incredibly practical as well because it has its roots in awareness. And you've just talked a little bit about that. And another really nice, we can call it an algorithm, maybe a formula, this combination of communication with motivation brings performance. But I think the other thing that we see a lot is that foundation of trust and respect. Mm. Because I, I was listening to something this morning, which was all about authentic leadership. And I think it's all too easy for us to hook ourselves onto right ways to do things and forget how we should show up as good humans. But I think so much of what you say and how you operate is the basis of just being a really good human, which comes back to love leadership, conscious yeah, leadership, and awareness. It does. And, and if I would have changed the word from conscious leadership to something else, probably that would be the one. Or just talking about servant mindsets, having that servant mentality. I often talk about, and most of, many of my titles when I'm a keynote speaker, which is a big part of my work, is, is that I say, you get the team you deserve and serve in capital letters. So the people get the idea that you're there to serve. If you don't understand that, then you have a problem. And I also, okay, if we can elaborate a little bit on that, I also differ between servant leadership and servant management in that case. And I'm trying this out on, on a different person. There's no psychology behind it that I've read about or studied, but this is just from my perspective, my experience. I, I define servant leadership as serving a quest, a cause, a vision and then invite people on that journey. While the servant manager serves the team that would help us get there. I don't know if you agree with it, but this, this is my definition of the two. And it helps me because it also means that a servant manager is always there for the team. The team is never there for the manager. It's always the other way around. And of course you can be both if you have the capabilities, but you can also see kind of the differences in them. It's nice when we leave this open to sort of navigating through a good conversation because you've just brought up something really, really useful. I think to anyone listening, just some very practical references to differences between leadership and management and using that style reference to create that differentiation. There's the vision over there, there's the take people with you and the management aspect you refer to as helping the team get there. And I think that's incredibly valuable in, in the way that you verbalize your thoughts, your learnings, what you put into your keynotes. I think anybody listening who has an eye on both leadership and management, and we've spoken a lot recently about the practicalities of management and how managers are in that pressure cooker and the wonderful figure that comes from the Chartered Management Institute of 82% of managers in the UK are there accidentally. We talked about the trips and slips earlier on, the ridiculous mistakes. 82% of managers are doing that because of no formal training and the guidance and this kind of insight that you've just brought. Thank That's you. how I got my first uh, management position. It was like, yeah, you're a good person. Here you are. Thank you. Let me know if there is anything. And then they just left. And I said, no, 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 no. Come back. I need your help. Let's see yeah. how we can do this properly. It's not just the numbers that get people there. It takes a little bit more, doesn't it? Very much so. So, Antti, let us ask you another question here. We really have a, a little defiant streak here at Defy Expectations. We kind of play by that mantra of seek forgiveness afterwards if we do things in the right way. And we talk a lot about aspiring leaders. So what we'd love to hear from you is a little pearl of defiant wisdom that you would pay forward to anyone who's an aspiring leader or has that on their goal to make that happen at some stage soon. Well, if you're not interested in people, you probably should not be 
thinking about leadership. Leadership is about communication, influence, power, relationships, trust, and all of these things means that you are interacting with people all the time. So I would say one of the things you should really think about is the word care. Care for your vision, your people, your purpose. And why not caring for the whole planet, by the way? There is no business on a dead planet. So just see that from a more holistic perspective, perhaps. We talked about it already, but I would like to say it again. Be kind to yourself and others. You don't know what they're going through. You have no idea. So be nice. That's a good start. Doesn't mean that you're weak or anything like that. Just means that you have, again, that servant mentality of, of helping out. That should not be kind of uh, confused with weakness or anything like that. Which means that you should also be brave. I think that if you want to do this, set goals, set brave goals. So brave that if you don't reach and don't be too upset. Because at least you're trying uh, more than many other people. Do. And I think, I don't know who said it in the beginning, that the, the master have failed more times than the amateur even tried. Whoever said it was wise. It's a game of, of constantly improving your game, trying to be better, trying to perform better, trying to be there for other people, be available for them and so on. Can I go on? Can I have more? Please do. Please do. There's both of us right, tuning cool. in there. Yeah. So how about having fun? Try to have fun. I mean, celebrate. Just be a good person and have the positive attitude instead of just finding the faults in everything. It's so much more good if you find if you can just see what the strengths are. And, and then I come into one of my favorite areas, which is to praise others. Uh, everything I read about psychologists say the same thing. If you praise people, they perform better than if you criticize them. I think it was an IBM study who showed that the high-performing team, they have six times more praise than the average team, and a low-performing team, six times more negative critique than the average team. And, and it says something. Focus on what's good first, and then, of course, fix whatever is it's a problem later. Uh, and, and perhaps also to add to, to this, if you're young and aspiring and so on, what is your passion? What is your purpose? What makes you curious? Follow it. Follow it all the time because that's where you will find your energy, your perseverance, uh, all of those things. And hopefully it will help you as well to, to become that, that even greater leader. People will, follow you, people will follow people who has energy, charisma, for instance, and, and being that sort of a magnet. Uh, if you are passionate about something, you will see that other people are as well. And there you have your tribe. I love that stat you gave around praising others. It reminds me of that National Geographic photo book where a photographer took photographs of individuals and then he told them they were beautiful and took the photograph at the same time as they heard those words. And the difference between the two is astonishing. It just shows how powerful those simple words are. You've got a book out called Employee Engagement, and I want to give you a bit of time to talk about that as well. You've also offered our listeners the chance to download some of that as well on our website, defyexpectations.co.uk. But I'd love you to get a little bit of time to talk about your book, the insights that you share, and how people can use those to improve their communication. Yeah, so it's called Employee Engagement, and, and the subtitles is 20 Keys to an Outstanding Workplace Communication. So if you look at it from that perspective, it's not a whole change of chain of communication, motivation, engagement, performance results. It's more of the communication part, right? 
And and I wrote it because I wanted to collect somehow the, the decades of studying this topic into one simple, easy to read, quick quick read formula. So I, I put a restraint on myself that I should not have more than, I think it was 1200 characters per page. It should be just easy, 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 and to the point more or less, right? And I would say that the, the, on the highest level, I talk about three communication superpowers. And if you have them, then you are in such a good shape to build relationships, to communicate with people, to lead people, serve people, and so on. Also clients, of course, or others. And if I start there, the rest are just like subsets of it. But the first one uh, of those uh, three superpowers is empathy. And I would say it's also the most important one. Being interested rather than interesting, uh, putting yourself in the shoes of them and so on. So empathy is number one. And also the most fragile of the three superpowers, especially if you feel entitled to a lot of things just because you became a manager. So as soon as you feel entitled, you lose whatever got you to that position, for instance. So be careful when you come to that and stay, and stay humble, stay interested rather than interesting. So empathy is number one. And second one is clarity. Clarity so that people understand you, people get you. So if you can make people feel smart, then they will follow you anywhere. And it's tricky because I see it so many times. We have like three levels of communication. We have the first one where we're simple because we don't know better. Then we have the second one where we are complicated because we do know better. And here's where most people are stuck. They stay there, complicated. And just look at people's PowerPoint slides. Oh my God, you know what I'm talking about. And then the third level is that you're simple again in your language, but this time you have substance. You know what you're talking about, and that's the difference. If you can go to that level, which very few people are, the kind of Barack Obama level, then you're in the best you know, shape when it comes to that. So that's the second one. And by the way, there are all the techniques around this and things we can learn on how to be more interested in it, how to work with your empathy. We can learn more about how to be clear in your messages when it comes to all sorts of things like the beginning and the end, the power of three, uh, metaphors, storytelling. There's so many things we can do there. And the third one, I actually mentioned it before, is energy being that magnet. And that's mostly observable in the nonverbal communication. So that's more of how you sound and how you look when you communicate. Even when you listen, but also when you say something, or it's about energy then. How do you project it? How can people feel or believe that you believe? Well, basically through the way you convey your messages, the passion you show and the conviction you show and so on. So those are on the highest level, the ones I talk about in the book. And then I go into to different, 20 different areas. I would mention one, which I think is for me one of the big ones. And that is that I say the bigger we the smaller them. As soon as we have the us and then scenario in any type of organization, we have a big problem because now we are saying that we are the best and they are the worst. And then we have conflicts going on and irritation going on and everything like that. Bad things, anxiety, stress, frustration. So how can you incorporate all of us into one big we, if it's possible, instead of doing the silo approach where it's only about me, 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 and so on. So I see that as uh, really important. There's an expression which I like saying, if I'm like you, I tend to like you. If I'm not like you, I tend to not like you. So how can we find common ground when it comes to our values, for instance, our core values? How we want to be described by others, for instance. If we have that in common, then we have a big we. You can even have a global company with different regional cultures that still has one company culture. The core, the core values that we build and the way we meet, greet, and treat each other. Really important. 
Like we, I go down all the way to, to concrete things about PowerPoint, for instance, and how much I actually hate the way we use PowerPoint. So, I mean, we don't have to go into all of those nitty gritties, but there's so many things we can do basically to be better at, at communicating with each other. I think we have to make comment on some of these uh, with regards to empathy, I must say, and, and many of the other references you give, particularly around paying forward and passing on your insight around care. And we have no planet if, you know, there is no care and you speak about empathy. It's kind of counterintuitive to the movement that was and hopefully is no longer around, although it still resides. It's that move first, break things. And that seems to go hand in hand with that sort of foundational mindset and behaviors and traits that you see with that sort of leader. And I think just hearing you say that and, and with the genuine way you put that across, it just sort of, A, it restores faith. But if your word could be pushed further, all the better, because there is a huge change to make. Because it's still more of the mantra, particularly in that startup scale-up space, where it's really believed that it's business, it's tough, you have to move first and break things. And typically things can be people. And I think it's pretty terrible. So hearing empathy to be top of the list is to be celebrated. Yeah, there are also studies about this when, when if you have executive teams having high perceived empathy, the, the organization will have like 70% of them will be highly engaged or at least engaged. While if you have low empathy, there is going to be like 15 to 30%. So it is crucial that we have that idea and mindset. But also in their communication, going back to the other two, energy and clarity, if they have high energy and high clarity, again, they will instill a lot of energy and enthusiasm and engagement in, in the people. Uh, too often I see the opposite, though, that, uh, that they have pretty low on both, and then I need to help them to, to become a better communicator. But it's a triangle here that's almost equilateral to some extent, because if you lose one of them, it's going to be a problem. For instance, let's say that you have high clarity, but you have no empathy. Or here's your recipe for a psychopath or, 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 a, or a bully or something like that. They can be very clear and they can say, I'm just being myself. And then I say, don't, don't be yourself. Be your best self. Much better. And of course, if you have high energy, but you have no clarity, then you become a clown. You don't want that either. You want all three to be in some sort of balance. It's just a matter of what comes first. And and if you look at it again from a communication perspective, start with empathy, understand who you have in front of you, design your message, that's clarity, and then deliver it with the right energy. So that's the flow of the conversation in that case. You mentioned very briefly Barack Obama as someone who does simple with substance as that sort mm. of level of communication. Mm. Sadly, there are also a lot of examples of individuals at that global stage level who display lack of empathy, clarity, and energy. Yes. Who are other people who you can look at, who you can point to as great examples of people who communicate with those three aspects that demonstrates how this can be done and the impact it has on people as well? If we want to go to the big ones that, that people know about, then of course, People like Nelson Mandela would, would be on top of my list. Uh, the way he forgave the whole apartheid thing in order to move on with that country is, is I mean, I can't think of a, of a better place to start. And uh, we talk about empathy and also clarity. It was very clear in his messages and so on. But then just look around you instead and see who you have around you, you know, that people don't know about. I remember one of my 
best managers, Martina, she had it figured out. I didn't think she did it deliberately, but she was like super empathetic. And I just felt heard and seen and respected. It didn't mean that she agreed with everything I said, but I could always go to her and say something or suggest something or even say I disagree. Not a problem. If you have psychological trust, you can raise your hand and say, I disagree. You can raise your hand and say, I screwed up and you will not get punished for it anyway. So just look around and see who your heroes are close by instead. But if you look at all three of them, then it could become a problem because it's not so easy to be very good at all three. If I turn this around instead and ask you, who would be your hero in that case? Good question. I am a fan of Mandela as well. So I find his self-forgiveness and his willingness to forgive others heroic, I suppose is the only word that I could say for it, because the way he was so open and understanding is quite incredible. Now, another person who I could put in that bracket as well is most probably Mahatma Gandhi. Mm. Does polarize some people in some opinions, but again, his ability to forgive. I and also did a quick check on Greta, Greta Thunberg, that most of you know by now, comparing her in those three. Empathy towards the people who pollute, not so much. Towards the planet, definitely, and, and people around her that are concerned. Clarity, very clear. Our house is on fire, uh, blah, blah, blah. Do, do what you should do is very clear. And then energy, yeah, that might be her least strength because she's uh, limited in the way she expressed herself, but she's laser focused. So from that perspective, she still has it. Like the passion she has about what you talk about is, is very clear. So I don't know if everybody agree. I mean, some people just say, oh, she should go back to the school. That's just trying to deviate from the real message here. She has qualities that is really interesting to see and has risen to become a leader without her even wanting to be. That's not her intention when she started to have that sign in front of the government in Sweden. She just wanted to point out the fact that we are polluting the planet in a way that is unsustainable. Vicky, who are yours? I think I've been running a little bit both close to home and as we started on that topic of leaders who inspire, because what you framed for me, Anthony, is getting these three communication superpowers, getting them right. It's really easy to say. It's often difficult to do. And I think when Helen said earlier that we've been more inspired by the bad than the good, I had these experiences really early on in a career of only seeing really inspiring managers around me who seemed to do all of these things. So my immediate managers and leaders of that organization, which was a pretty large organization in the healthcare sector. And the level of empathy that very senior leader had was tremendous. The clarity they spoke with was tremendous and the energy was boundless. But all with those other additional nuances that incredibly genuine in, and the level of appropriate humor and well-considered, well-timed humor in a time where I suppose it could be said that certain acceptances were different and it was okay to say certain things. We are in a very different decade than my first decade in the workplace. But I think if we're bringing this back to the workplace, that's where mine reside. And it was probably the senior leader of the healthcare organization. He led that whole UK business. He led the EMEA business. And it wasn't just because it was a he. He just had that ability to have empathy 
with everyone, have clarity to everyone and bring energy all the time. And I think that laid down an unrealistic expectation that I thought that most leaders could do this. And then as we said after that, those that were dreadful at it, I've encountered in the last decade of my working decade, I would say rather, and I go into this in a little bit more detail, but more specifically, I've encountered a lot of the tendency I've seen before being in that startup scale-up space. It's the behaviors that are almost expected, which are communicate with intense volume. Because if you shout and if you smash the table, it gets a, a bigger reaction and people will jump higher. And it's absolutely not so. The energy may be there, but the way it's delivered and the intent and how it lands is completely wrong. And there's absolutely zero empathy there. So I think what you said, and, and that triad of those superpowers, really makes me reflect on my three decades in the world of work and the dark versus the light, good versus evil. So I really like that. I'd also love to hear about those superpowers of how not to do PowerPoint, but I'm going to download your book and read that because I think there's going to be some brilliant ones in there, Anthony. Thank you. I can send you a hidden link that will give you and, and every listener access to both downloadable materials, including PowerPoint, including science of charisma, including all sorts of things. No, I'd love that. Talk about. So we can do that as, as a, it's actually one that I send out to after a speech. So, so then you get kind of saying, thank you so much for, for listening, but let's do it as a podcasting as well. I want to say so, one more thing when it comes to what we talked about, and that is that you can get people to do quite a lot. You can make people perform by making them afraid. It is possible. It's not sustainable, but it works for a while. And I've seen many leaders who going into that bully style and people are scared, perhaps losing their job or something else, and they perform pretty well for a while. Unsustainable. And for me, everything is about sustainable growth. How do you do this in a good way? So yeah, it is possible to do it. Not my style, though. It's quite interesting. One of our partners, Pat Chapman Pincher, talks about leadership style in the sense that it's very, very situational. So sustainable is really important. But actually, if the building is literally on fire, as the leader, you are jumping up and down and shouting and getting people to move as quickly as you possibly can. And that's a moment when that style is acceptable because there are lives on the line. But for the rest of it, you're absolutely right. It's not sustainable. So really understanding who's in front of you and the situation and the context is where that self-awareness, coming back full circle to our conversation, that self-awareness of you and the person in front of you is so critically important. There is smoke billowing up the staircase, get people moving. But that's only going to be a micro moment in anyone's leadership career. The problem is where you have an inflation of people thinking that it is an emergency every time they speak. Not necessarily true, but you're absolutely right. Of course, we have to just move. If the house is on fire, move now, quickly. I'd like, if I may, just to um, use some of these insights you shared. I have another question I'd like us to just reflect on for a minute, which is using these concepts of employee engagement and your passion for this, the insights you've shared, those superpowers. How can that specifically enable listeners, leaders, who are in that customer space, who are customer facing, or those who aren't, how can we be better at serving customers, customers, clients, stakeholders, using these superpowers and with this engagement? 
Well, I guess it's the same type of flow that we talked about before, starting with empathy, starting with being curious about who you have in front of you as a customer in that case. What, what do they want? Why do they want it? Finding out, you know, the strategic needs that they have. That is about empathy. And then you can do that with the right uh, way of asking questions, closed, open, strategic, tactic. There's so many different ways you can do that. And then listen, not to respond but to understand big, big, big difference. And a problem that we have also as managers sometimes when we are too stressed. I've done that mistake too. It could be another story I can share. And, and I've heard it so many times. People are stressed just answering after, after question and they don't really answer the question at all. That's the problem. So empathy, number one. And then go into, once you know, once we have clarified with the customers what the actual burning points are, then, then it's time for you to ex exemplify what you can do in order to help them. Then it's the clarity part, for instance. Then it's about giving them insights on your products or solutions and how that can translate into value for the client. Not features, but not even benefits, but incentives. And then that's finally, great. and that's also something you have to do with, with the right amount of energy and so on. I have a model I call no show go. So no is, you know, understand who you have in front of you, what they need. Show is when you take over and tell them how you can solve the problems. And go is when you're brave at the very end. That's also energy. How do you make sure that you agree on something? If there is a possibility for a customer commitment, how do you get that customer commitment? If there's no interest, how do you make sure that you end the conversation after a while then? So you don't just go on and on and on. And, and actually, I talk about that too. But then I say you, have the, you get the customers you deserve. And then it's the servant mindset back again all over again. Thanks for being able to frame this and give a really practical and insightful way to use this framework. Having these mental models is really helpful and doing so in a way that frames it around the customer is, is wonderful for us. Thank you for that. Really valuable. Thank you. So if you've been as inspired as we have with our amazing guest, Anthony, please check back in. We run these sessions regularly. And we cover every aspect and the cover the kind of skills, the behaviors, the knowledge, the insights, the mental models that leaders need to continuously develop and thrive. Do look at our website, defyexpectations.co.uk, and remember to follow us to get notified of our next episode.